podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning. Well, there's been uh, recently a lot of buzz in the Dynamite Circle. People, including this guy, are getting excited about doing some traveling, especially international travel, in the very near future. And specifically, we're having our first in-person event in 18 months, DC, Mexico City, in October. And on this theme, someone posted a highly relevant and related topic. So here it is. Quote, is digital nomadism possible to combine with having a family? Wow. That's a question and a half, and we're going to talk about it today. So when a member commented back, quote, I'd be happy to discuss this with anyone interested. My wife and I are American passport holders, but we've been living outside the US for 16 years. We have three kids, and we've gone to school in Hungary, Costa Rica, Thailand, and now Mexico. So if that sounds interesting to you, hang on. We are bringing it to the show today. And before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to bring up one thing we are doing over at dynamitejobs.com. So on last week's show, we talked about this idea of specialization in agencies and services, something we strongly believe is going to be the future. In fact, you're seeing a lot of things pop up on the web that are essentially like high-end Fivers. You know, Fiverr, you can go get logos or a little design work done. But what about bigger services? Won't you be able to buy more complicated things on the web someday? Well, you can right now at dynamitejobs.com. Sometimes you're not ready to hire, but you're just interested in moving your business forward by buying some productivity or getting an interesting service to serve your business. One I'd like to highlight just this week, if you go over to dynamitejobs.com, click the services marketplace at the top, you'll see a service by Destination Legal, which is called a trademark knockout search. It's only $300. Basically, the idea is you get a detailed trademark name search and opinion letter, email access for two weeks to answer any questions, and then you get your 300 bucks deducted off if you actually want to go ahead and register that trademark. So how cool if you got a domain name you want to register, but there's a lot of research that you're not willing to do, you can hire a highly professional service provider in Destination Legal to do that for you. That's sort of this idea, this promise of purchasing productivity by these highly agile, focused services. I truly believe that's the future. We're trying to build that in some small way over at Dynamite Job. So check it out when you have a spare moment. Check out that trademark knockout search. It's only 300 bucks to get that search going. So more on that in the future, but for now, let's get rolling today's conversation. My name is Steven Laddick. Most people call me Laddick. I do a variety of things. Right now, I'm what's known as the principal of e-learning advocacy for a company called OpenLMS, which is a large learning management system provider. I got really lucky in that I owned an e-learning company when this pandemic hit. So they acquired your company and now you're a big honcho. Is that the idea? I'm not a big honcho. No, I mean, literally, it's, <laughs> it's August 18th. Uh, they acquired us on August 5th. So we're we're literally two weeks into this right now. It's one of the stories you hear in the DC all the time it, that when I went to DC BKK in 2019, I want to say, there was a session on holding virtual summits and it was well produced. It was well done. 
it was the moment where I said, you know what, this is what we need to do in order to get this brand out there and in order to sort of make a splash. We started producing the virtual summit in late 2019. And, you know, kind of can kind of see where the story is going. I happen to have an, a very large e-learning summit just as the pandemic hit. I wish I could say I was I was a genius and saw this coming, but I just got really lucky with the serendipity of being able to hold an e-learning summit, you know, about how do you do this? Like, how do you bring your school online or how do you bring your team into remote learning and those kinds of things, just as everybody was freaking out and figuring out how do we do this? The first iteration of the summit happened in April 2020. The response to it was so fantastic that um, we decided to do it again. We had it again in 2021. We almost doubled our participation rate and really caught the eye of a lot of different organizations in this space. And one of them is now the company I work for. Now, we can't get into Stephen's catalog of entrepreneurship prior to getting into the e-learning world because it would take up a whole show because it includes consulting, growing an agency, and much more. Stephen has done a lot. But we're going to intersect with his background in the part which is particularly relevant to this topic, which is his decision to start a business alongside of having a successful family life outside of the U.S. For Stephen, that all started nearly two decades ago in the wake of a business idea that imploded, like many, after the dot-com bubble followed a stint in a J-O-B. The impetus and the finally, like the, the jump over the bridge for me was meeting the woman that is now my wife and has been for the last 16 years. And the short story there is I decided to go back and get a master's degree in Washington, D.C. That's where I, I met Dana, who's now my wife. At that time, we were both kind of, you know, we were working in the humanitarian world. We were, we, were, we were completing these master's degrees. And we said, look, we're starting this partnership as a couple. We knew that we wanted to live overseas. We knew that we wanted to live outside the United States. We wanted that international lifestyle. Um, and we had a simple competition. Who got the first post? She got three job offers. I got zero. <laughs> and so our first move overseas was to the country of Jordan. And at that stage, I basically was forced to raise my hand and say, look, I have to figure this out as a consultant, as a you know entrepreneur or whatever. What an incredible product this week. This episode is brought to you by Service Provider Pro, an agency dashboard and client portal software for productized services. Can you believe it? You know we're huge on productized services around here. This product is designed for those of you who run them at scale. So if you want to scale up your agency, you need a system for handling clients, payments, and projects. Service Provider Pro gives you that system together with a white-labeled client portal that makes your agency look professional, saves your clients time, and serves as a central source of truth for your team. Service Provider Pro is trusted by many TMBA listeners, including seven-figure agencies. This is a solution made specifically for selling and delivering your services at scale. So check them out. Check it out over at spp.co to learn more how it works. That's spp.co. Well, today what I wanted to talk to you about is your other project, which is your family. Maybe you could give some context. You already mentioned your wife and how critical she's been. The story behind so many entrepreneurial ventures is the desire to be with a partner and like what it takes to be with them. And it sounds like that was a big core motivation for you. How did that, that begin? And maybe let us know, you know how old your kids are and stuff like that. So we have three kids. I have a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old. My 13-year-old was born in the country of Jordan. My 10-year-old was born in the country of Hungary. My 7-year-old was born in the country of Costa Rica. 
we didn't plan it that way. I mean, that wasn't sort of, hey, let's go have a kid in every country, you know, as we go along. <laughs> but, you know, when we made our first leap, we had a great time for the first three years of it. You know, we were still kind of in the single scene. We were having a great time over in Jordan. And, but it just got to a point in a relationship where like, we had to make a really conscious decision. Do we want to have kids or not? And my wife will actually tell you that when we first got together, we both kind of made the decision we didn't want to have kids, right? We were kind of like, you know, we were career focused. We really enjoyed the flexibility of doing what we wanted when we wanted. You know, we knew that things were going to be more difficult because we also wanted to choose a lifestyle that was not traditional, right? So that was, that was overseas living, being apart from family, those kinds of things. But ultimately we, we sat down and we, we looked at it together. I mean, it was, it was really, I mean, again, I can kind of remember very, very clearly the conversation sitting on the edge of our bed about, you know, this was, I believe it was right around my wife's birthday in Jordan just saying, Hey, look, I'm ready and willing to commit to this with you if you want to do this. And we both, you know, it was just one of those great special, you know, moments as a couple where we're like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to take this decision because kids are that decision. You're in this for the long haul. No backseas. No, zero backseas. <laughs> zero backseas. <laughs> what an awesome ride though. I mean, right before this podcast, I just picked them up from the school bus, you know, that, and they're, you know, they're back now here at the house and I have that luxury. I get to go pick them up from the bus and walk back home, you know, and all these things. And so the lifestyle has facilitated a parenting opportunity for me that I guess, you know, not too many people have had until maybe the last couple of years now. This has been the last, you know, 13 years for me. The whole sort of premise of this conversation is, as someone asked in the forum, like, is being a digital nomad with a family possible? Well, here's the funny thing that I, I was actually kind of, the reason why I jumped in as well is this possible? I'm just like, what do you mean? Is this? Po of course, people have been doing this. Literally, I mean, Genghis Khan was a nomad who had giant <laughs> hordes go with, you know. And, and so, what would be really interesting to me is to learn what's the premise or what's the fear behind that question. Is a family going to limit me in some way? Are children going to destroy something that I have right now? Because that's, that's really where a question like that comes from, right? It's like, oh my gosh, how do I, how could I do this and still maintain the awesomeness that I think I have right now? And I'm here to tell you that the answer is absolutely 100% sure. You just need to make really conscious decisions about what you want to maintain and what you don't want to maintain, right? Maybe I can project some fears onto you and you can let me know about some of your experience and walk us through it. So I think one is, if I'm a digital nomad family, do I need to homeschool my children? The answer is no, zero. I think that you need to make careful decisions. I'm going to even retract that. I think you need to make conscious decisions about what kind of education you want your children to have. In the countries that we've lived in, so most recently with children, again, it would be Hungary, Costa Rica, and Thailand, right? So our first son was born in Jordan, but we moved to Hungary almost immediately after he was born. So depending on the places that you want to live, there's going to be a plethora of schooling options, right? So in every case that I just mentioned, Hungary, Costa Rica, Thailand, there is either a public system or a non-private option, I guess, you know, a non-extraordinarily expensive option for you to go down. And then there's also going to be, you know, the gold standard, you know, I'm going to pay $20,000 a kid per year international school option as well. What's the difference between the two in your mind? In my mind, the way that I would play it is I think that there's real value in 
making a choice when you have when you have younger children to keep them in the public system. My eldest son went to something called a bolcheda in in Hungary, which is essentially a day a Hungarian daycare, right? Now that's through kindergarten. And if you live there legally, you know, you've got a work permit or whatever, you're there in the country legally, you're entitled for free to, to have your kid go to this. And so what do you get there? You, you get socialization, you get second languages, you get, you know, introduction to other families, you get, you know, social network, you get all kinds of awesomeness from it. And then when we moved to Costa Rica, we did the same thing. We chose a very affordably priced early year school that went up to kind of second grade. So again, so that the kids could be culturated, so that they would get Spanish under their belts, so um, we could be close. It was very accessible to us. As they've grown older, we have seen the value of choosing maybe a more, less affordable option or, or more an investment essentially in their education simply because of access to resources, international teachers, the ability to bring not only the teaching capability, but then the infrastructure that you want for your kid to be surrounded by. And then, you know, as a digital nomad, or just if you think about the parenting and the adult part of it, you want to put yourself in a position for success in, in terms of having a community that you resonate with. For our experience being in the international school system, you know, as we get into these sort of middle school and up years, these are people that we, that we mingle with, right? They've had some, many, many of the similar experiences that we've had. I love to say it, like a lot of people associate these international schools with embassies and UN and these kinds of things, but that's what I think of. I think of, yeah, diplomats, kids kind of. Sure, exactly. But I, I'm, I'm here to tell you as well, there's, for instance, in Bangkok, so many of them are, are, are business people, right? And more than a handful that I knew were not classic digital nomads because they had fairly sizable businesses, right? Not sort of, right. you know, you know, one of the things, but they're fairly sized. Like I'm, I'm thinking right now of a, good friend of mine who lived in the same apartment building as he was, he had a supplement company, but it's a giant supplement company. And his kids went to the same school as mine did. So it really ends up being a choice about that. I maintain the truth that no matter where you live in the world, you can live as affordably or as expensively, is that a word? Or as, as cost inefficiently as possible, right? So it's really about the choices that you want to make. It's, the, it's really about what lifestyle you want to have. It's about the connections that you want to have and where do you want to invest because you think that it'll, that'll bring benefit to you. So it's not necessarily, you know, if you have a high school age kid, you're you know, signing yourself up for $15,000 a year per child. Like that's an option you can invest in if you want them to go to elite American universities. I mean, is that like one of the considerations? Like, do you have to go to international school if you want to like play the really good university in America game? Or is that something you guys think about? We are of the mind that college would be a great option for socialization, but we don't, we aren't necessarily bought into college is going to get you a job or bring you a career, those kinds of things. So we save for higher education for them, you know, in a sort of standard investment kind of way, but we maintain in our dialogue with our kids and whatnot that it's like, Hey, look, college is there. We think it's a great option for you, but it's not necessarily, we don't push them in the way that you would say, look, you know, you've got to be in all the AP classes. You've got to be in the, in, in those kinds of things. That's, that's not our deal. I'm trying to channel as many anxieties, your direction as possible to see what comes up. So one might be, what are some advantages or disadvantages of socializing your children in different countries with different languages versus having them be like sort of Americans, traditional Americans? 
have you observed the differences in them versus kids that maybe were raised in one place in America? So our children are what are known as third culture kids in that if you were to see the three of them right now, being as stereotypical as I possibly can, they look and taste and smell like corn fed American kids. They are a little blonde. They have blue eyes. You know, they, if you listen to them talk, they speak with American English. There's just no way that you would be able to tell a difference without, you know, like on that first initial meeting. But they, you know, like I said, my son is, my eldest son is 13 years old. He's spent less than 13 total months in the United States in his whole life. He's not a traditional American. So what a third culture kid ultimately means is that they have their core identity of who they are. They get from their parents. They get from myself and my wife. And that's their sort of base culture. But really, at the end of the day, they occupy this space that's outside of what what would be a traditional cultural trapping. Usually that's based around a passport, right? A European passport or a German passport or, you know, an Indian passport or whatever. Because they occupy this unique space, this kind of goes to that question, what's it like socialization and culturalization of kids in this environment? It is awesome. The opportunities that you get as a parent that you would never get to shape your child, right? To really have a really long, hard thought about what your value system is and what is it that you want to communicate to this next generation that you're bringing up. The opportunity to be a mentor and to be a guide to them about the conversations that they have. And then really it's, you know, every time we go back to the States, because we go to the States at least once a year, but now it's probably going to be more. There's always interesting questions. Like we have to answer questions about the Supreme Court. We have to answer questions about what different states are. We have to answer questions about, you know, why do people kneel and this and that, you know, this, because they don't, they don't really have any idea what a typical American kid would understand immediately because they are raised in the culture and it's that iceberg. I don't know if you're familiar with the cultural context of icebergs, but no, a culture is, is, is something that lives mostly in your subconscious. And so when we think about culture, we usually what you see is the it's just like the Titanic. It's that tip of the iceberg. You know, it's the words we say, it's the expectations that we have on a day-to-day basis about meetings, you know, these kinds of things. But what we really experience as a culture is all of that ice that's underneath the water. And those are the things that you you operate subconsciously. For example, you know, the fact that here in Mexico, it's completely acceptable to show up to a party, you know, an hour and a half after the invitation said, right? Just simply because everybody knows it's, that's, that's what you do. You know, it's just one really simple example. And so for our kids, that underlying piece of the cultural iceberg, when you see them, if you were to see them right now, Dan, you would, you'd say, oh, look, there's a, you know, kid playing, playing catch with his dad. But, you know, he, there, there's all of that part is missing and it's been built around this, this lifestyle that we have. Do you think it matures them faster if you're benchmarking them against kids that might have more traditional? 100%. Because now they have to be conscious about these things rather than take them for granted or internalize them as a lot. I mean, I know growing up, for example, I remember feeling a lot of like shame for stepping outside of like certain little mores in school, like even wearing the wrong pair of shoes or something. Mm -hmm. And then when I bump into third culture kids, I'm like, wow, like I was not like that. I'll answer that with with an anecdote. So one of my favorite questions that I get from people all the time is, what's it like for your kids? You know, you guys move from country to country every three or four years, you know, and they're, they're always kind of moving around. And my first answer is they don't know any other life. I grew up in the same house for 26 years before I moved out, you know, whatever it was. And 
for them, for my children, this is the life that they know, right? As far as they're concerned, this is normalcy. And I find that it brings a a level of maturity, a level of willingness to solve problems. What we found with our kids is they're willing to share, right? Like they don't, they don't hold up a lot and they, you know, if, if there's something going wrong or there's something they want to express and show us about, like we have, I, I'm going to gush here a little bit, sorry, but we have just this fantastic relationship with our kids, right? Like, especially watching now I've got a, literally a new teenager. He just turned, you know, just, just became a teenager a few weeks ago. And just the level of depth of conversation that I have with him. I never had that with my parents. Yeah, I never got into it with my dad. I never got into it with my mom, you know, like of any topic. Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath. Have you ever, you ever heard of that one? Yeah. That book, the whole premise around that book is essentially, well, one of the key premises in that book is essentially that adversity makes you stronger. And that when you find yourself with a challenge, you either figure out a way to build the muscle to move around it, or you get creative to solve the problem. I think that this is something that we have unconsciously provided for our children with the lifestyle that we live because they are required every three or four years to find themselves in a new community, in a new context. They have to swim around and find new friends, right? While maintaining now and keeping friends from the past. There's a whole muscle that you're not forced to do as an American kid a lot, right? We would see this in Europeans where they have, you know, three or four languages and they have to learn usually as a necessity. But if we're thinking about our core culture, yours and mine, that's, you know, there's just so many pieces there where they, they have to find a workaround or they have to find a way to fit or, you know, it's not going to be any fun for them. So it's, it's just a, it's a skill they've now developed. Let me take a moment to talk about our recruiting services at Dynamite Jobs. If you're thinking about hiring, our team can help you be more strategic. If you're in the middle of a time-consuming candidate campaign, we can take it off your plate. And if your HR team is having difficulty delivering the right team members, we can be their support. See strategy, positioning, promotion, filtering, interviewing, and assessing, they are all a tremendous amount of very important work, even for organizations with seasoned HR teams. But our expert team does it every day, all day. And it's not just our expertise you'll be accessing. We run one of the largest remote job boards and databases of qualified candidates on the web. Why not work directly with a team who hires hundreds of A players annually for businesses just like yours? So if you run a remote first company, we can help you grow faster and smarter. And the best part is we charge just one simple flat fee for every hire. And with Dynamite Jobs Recruiting, your results are guaranteed. To learn more about how we can help you grow, head on over to dynamitejobs.com and click on the Hire With Us link. Do you anticipate, especially as your kids become teenagers and older, like that they kind of like their friends become these really important elements. Like we all remember when we were like 15, 16, 17, that like you're going to be ripping them out of these friendships or relationships or whatever. It's great timing right now, simply because our eldest is, you know, he's in eighth grade now. He'll be going into high school next year. And this has been a conversation on our, my, my wife and I, our mind for, for the longest time. We know that the high school years are incredibly formative, right? And so we are actively positioning ourselves to make the next leap before his sophomore year so that he will have those three years set. And then we're going to, 
make that leap in a way where basically we're going to throw down for like for eight years so that even our daughter can get all the way through high school, just the way that they're going to overlap, just because we know that those are such formative years. We don't want to rip any of them out when it's like, you know, your junior year or anything like that. So I've heard this time and time again, that what the, let's call you pioneer, pioneer, like guys out there, like you doing these have discovered is that in the early years, preteen years, it seems like this enormous asset. And then a lot of people feel that they want to try and provide something more stable for the high school experience. I think it's absolutely more than anecdotal, right? I mean, I think if you're an embassy family, if you're a military family, you don't get the luxury of making that choice in a lot of cases, just simply because you've got a profession that says, look, you've got a three-year stint or two-year stint in it. But yes, when we talk to the people in our community who have high school kids, it's like they want to find that stability. And we, we actually, now that I'm really kind of considering it, I can probably name four or five families off the top of my head that made a conscious choice to have a parent stay behind with a kid when a move happened for a job or somebody had to take a, maybe a consulting gig where they, they travel an awful lot and they're not super present simply because they're like, look, we want to make sure the kid stays stable. Or the kid is demanding it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you're right. At that stage, you know, especially in high school, it's definitely the demand. And that's, again, that's just a part of, that's part of the choices you make as parenting, right? You're like, look, I'm going to do this for my kid because hell, you want them to, you you know, you want them to have the best. So that's interesting. I mean, a lot of the stories, what your experience shared with my observations over the years that, you know, I do like initially when I thought about digital nomading with a family, I thought, you know, I had like rose colored glasses about some of like the consistency of my childhood. But when I really dig into the experiences and compare them with their culture kids, um, I realize how limiting and small and sometimes damaging those experiences were, whereas the flexibility and I mean, I've just been impressed, generally speaking. And it's partially, I mean, it's a selection bias too. And on that front, you know, my next question is like, a lot of people do this retreat back to their home country because it's what they know. They have like a family infrastructure there. A lot of decisions just get made for you. And you've described a very proactive approach, like looking at for schools. You've described a lot of work. I'm not sure how to answer that question, only because you're talking to a person who's a part of a, a relationship, a couple that this is, you know, we're, we're goal setters. We are, you know, very proactive in our professions that we have and the careers that we have. And we're, we're sort of go-getters to generally. So it doesn't seem like work to us. It just seems obvious that if you want an outcome, you're going to create a vision then you're going to create a plan around it and then adjust along the way to try to arrive there. Right. Again, this kind of goes back to your demeanor as a person. And it also goes back to, you know, are you really making conscious choices about what you're signing up for? I mean, I don't want to try to get all philosophical on you or anything like that, but this is life. What else do you have to think about other than these kinds of decisions, right? But one thing that, and I, I don't know, that maybe this bleeds into a different direction than you were expecting to go here, but another piece that Dana and I have often heard from other couples or other families that they said, how is it you guys still go out to eat dinner? We take, you know, an adult vacation every couple of months or, you know, at least twice a year. We make sure that we get out as a couple. We make sure that we still have a really robust social life as well as adults. And so again, these are just choices you have to make and you're going to make sacrifices in other places. We both threw away our television pre-2000, right? And that was one of our common our commonalities when we came together. What's your priority schedule at the end of the day? 
One of the things that people think about is insurance in this lifestyle. I know it's sort of just like a logistical question, but what's your sense for, is it prohibitively expensive? Are you saving money there? Or how can you provide robust uh, insurance, something Americans are obsessed with as well? I can only answer it from the perspective of when I had the agency, because we hired people to come to, you know, we hired them to go live and work in overseas positions fairly regularly. And many of them were from the United States or from Europe. Essentially, what you find is there's, an, there's a ton of great insurance options that you can choose from as long as the individual does not go and get healthcare in the United States. I've had three kids, multiple surgeries. You know, my, we've lived this life over, or, you know, like, as I said, Middle East, Europe, Latin America, whatnot. If we just talk about the birth of our three children, uh, we had such a five-star experience compared to what you would get in the United States for a third or less of the cost, just simply because of the way the insurance and the medical system works. So that's really the only perspective I have. And I have to punt on that a little bit because we get our insurance through my wife's position. And so we're well taken care of in that way. Just a few points there. I mean, one is, you know, a lot of these global insurance programs, that's the one proviso is like, you know, no United States. And I also think people that don't travel as often as you would be really surprised at some of the quality of healthcare you can find, you know, in other countries. We run into it all the time. So true story, you know, we moved to Mexico during the pandemic. So September, 2020. In late July, early August, I started having a lot of pain in my back and turns out I had an exploded disc. Wow. You know, a week and a half after we, we moved here, I had back surgery at a Mexican hospital without even blinking an eye. And when we talk with embassy families or we talk with other people, they're just like, wow, how, how did you even trust the river? I'm like, what is not to trust? These are top-notch facilities. These doctors are, are trained at all of the same universities that you'd get, you know, either in the United States or Europe. Americans think we're the best at everything. There's a lot of that. <laughs> There's a reason why people ask is when, when we're moving back to the States and we're like, what? what? I, don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an American hater, right? I love going to a ball game. I love doing, you know, all the things. I love going back to Colorado and, and being there. But at the same time, you know, the, the, this lifestyle that we lead and that we've created is just going back to the States would create more than a 50% cut in our lifestyle. Like just the benefits that we have, the experiences that we have, the cost of, of the lifestyle that we have would, you know, triple, it would treble overnight. Yeah. I mean, as a basic back to like the original digital nomad equation, like America is very expensive and it's not necessarily that great all the time. I mean, you're paying a lot for not necessarily a lot. There are some wonderful things about America, depending on, you know, how you live and what you do. But I think that that's one of the promises of your lifestyle, what you're... Well, but that's also bringing back to the kids here too. If you were to ask them today, if you were to go to my son today right now, you say, hey, would you like to go to high school in the United States? Hell yes. The answer would be absolutely 100%. You know, they would move back there in a second because it's easy. There's this sort of tantalizing. It's like... It's got a good brand. I'll try to say something about it a little bit. Like having traveled the whole world, there's nothing quite like the American university system. And that does funnel down into the high school system as well. Like that feeling of being on campus and of that identity. It's not like that in Europe. A hundred percent. We've talked essentially about all pros thus far in this conversation, but there are those cons, right? There, there are those cons of 
we don't have that community that we lived in for 25, 30 years where I know every neighbor and, you know, we have the backyard barbecue and, and those kinds of things, but we, we have those things that show up in, in other ways. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things I just want to ask you at the end here. The first is, you know, you're in Mexico city right now, and I think it's a interesting place, not only because so many of us are going there soon, but because it's so close to the U S a lot of us are, listeners of the show are American and yet it's not a place that's very high up on the list of things to do. I'm curious as to why you think that is and what's your experience been like living there. This is, is going to sound terrible. I expected deserts, sombreros, you know, uncomfortable feeling all of the time. And it turns out that Mexico city is about as close to Europe as you it may, it may be Europe, right? It is just absolutely fantastic in the area that we live in, uh, the Polanco Condesa Roma area. It's cafes, it's parks, it's big trees. You know, the weather is absolutely bar none, some of the best we've ever experienced in the world. The people are nothing but, you know, amazing. 300 different museums in this city. Pre-show, we were talking about going biking. There is single track, there is road biking, there is, you know, there are armies of bikers down here. It's another one of these mega cities that you don't realize when you get into like, wow, look at all like just the just if you think of the music scene, the vibrancy of it is just amazing. And then that's just Mexico City. And we haven't even started with the food scene down there. I well, mean, exactly. I mean, anybody who's watched the Taco Chronicles, come on. I mean, they're, they're, I'll throw a Netflix thing right there. But, you know, then you've got the Puebla Magicas, then you've got the beaches, then you've got the different tours. Like, I mean, we're going to go do the, the tequila train tour in tequila, you know, in, in, a, in a couple of weeks. There's the Copper Canyon that's bigger than the Grand Canyon. There's the cenotes. I got a weird curveball that I just thought of. And, you know, in America, people pay a lot, a lot of money. I just talked to somebody who spent like a ridiculous amount of money to live in a bad house in a good school district in like California somewhere for you to buy yourself into like the best neighborhood and some city in America might be prohibitively expensive, but also like not that cool. Whereas like there's something about, you know, networking with a wealthier class than is there any of that going on? The short answer is yes. I mean, this goes back to sort of that conversation around, you know, what school do you choose and what price point do you choose? It's just you're buying into a community, right? Because that $20,000 starts to look really affordable. Whereas like that would be your property tax bill. Yeah. hundred percent. <laughs> and here's the thing, like, you also just sort of have to figure out as you individually or you as a partner, you know, as a, as a family, like, who do you want to hang out with? It's that stumble into things. It's the reason why we go to the office. It's the reason why we go to the co-working space or whatever is because you stumble into the parties or you stumble into the networking events or you stumble into the whatever, especially if you're even remotely social, right? 100%. All right. Well, Stephen, this has been awesome. I got one more question for you, which is, I think a lot of people are just gearing up to want to do this kind of lifestyle. What are some great places for it? What are some places that you'd love to take your kids or that is particularly good for them for one reason or another? I think for younger children, Costa Rica, I'm going to straight from my experience, hundred percent. It's a little sleepy in terms of, you know, for the parents and those kinds of things, but just you have access to everything, nature, you have access. To, and then you've got this public school system. And also the child protection system in Costa Rica is phenomenal. You can't leave the country with a child without actually having and going and registering with the, uh, the Ministry of Child Protective Services. Like, that's really intense, right? We absolutely loved Bangkok for this opportunity simply because of the diversity of options in terms of everything from preschool to the highest of the high. So, you know, 
$30,000 a year boarding school and everything in between, but also just that community of expatriates and nomads, whatever you want to call them, is just so robust and, and diverse. I guess it really depends on what you want your children to experience as well. A huge part of our value system is making sure that our children see how the other half lives for lack of a better term as well. So we take them to places where maybe there is poverty, maybe there is struggle, maybe those kinds of things. So that's really important to us. And so Mexico makes a lot of sense in that regard, because we can see what Latin America is like. We can see what Central America is like. Um, It's on the news all the time, migration, those kinds of things. New Zealand, Australia, you're going to be paying Western prices there. And it's kind of a Western lifestyle, but boy, I, I, you know, we went to New Zealand, absolutely loved it. We also had a great time in Australia when we were there. It's a hard question to answer in any definitive way because it's so personality based. Do you want a big city or do you want, you know, a smaller city? Do you want something where you have access to a lot of nature and, you know, outdoor activities or are you more of an indoor person? So, all right. Well, Stephen, uh, the final question, just to give you an opportunity. It's, it's kind of a, a tough one, but there's a lot of people listening to this program that want to be where you are. They want to be able to have a sustainable way to live a, a lifestyle where they can define their own terms and take a lot of people with them while they do it. Do you have any general pieces of advice or feedback that you'd like to give people that earnestly ask you that question? Hey, man, like, how do I, how do I get to where you're at? So I'm a huge believer in what I call foundations. In order to achieve what Dana and I, if you, if you want to look at it, how you ever want to measure success, is it, you know, there's, there's a certain level of financial success, there's a certain level of relationship stability, there's a family stability and those kinds of things. We've thought long and hard about what do you need to have in place in order to not, not feel like you're like the wolf is at the door at the end of the day. Let's just say somebody's sitting right now in Texas right now. They're like, ah, I want to do what Laddick does, you know, figure this out. My first question I ask for them is, it's awesome. I want you to do it as well. Think about what it is that you really want to get out of it. Write that down, make that vision for yourself, and then ask yourself, what would it take to really be comfortable in that? And then again, this is going to sound like really classic goal-making kind of language and whatnot, but set yourself up for success by cutting corners and having some sacrifices and whatnot, and put a nest egg away so that you, you you have a financial base to work from, and then make the leap. I've talked a lot about this in the development community because this is a really, it's a constant conversation about how do I, how do I have this lifestyle and, you know, actually be financially successful and also build a family and whatnot. So make sure you have that foundation and then, you know, use that as an opportunity to make, to make the leap when you're, you know, you're entering into a potential partnership. Again, it's the same thing. It's like, really ask yourself, what am I buying into here? You know, love is one thing and you know, you're going to fall for whoever you fall for, but then like get serious about it and really ask yourselves as a couple, the question, what do we want to build together? How are we going to build it? You know, get really intentional. Like intentionality is such an underutilized and ridiculously powerful thing that we all have resource. We all have that, you know, as a resource today. And so, I mean, that's where I would point them. That's wonderful. Steven, thanks for joining us on the pod. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. What an incredible representation of the variety and the ability to live these incredibly abundant lives. You see it all through listeners of this show, members of the DC, and especially looking forward to meeting Steve and Laddick. 
in Mexico City, along with so many of you. Absolutely can't wait for that. If you're a nomad parent or plan to be, we'd love to hear from you. Travel is at the top of everyone's mind. We're very hopeful there'll be more of it very, very soon. And for a lot of us, that means bringing the family in tow. So we hope to record some more episodes on this topic with your help. That's it for this week. See you next Thursday morning, same time, same place. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.